This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, you are listening to The Morning Run. It's 7.06 a.m. on Wednesday, the 1st of March. I'm Shazana Mukhtar in studio today with Chong Jensen and Keith Kam. In half an hour, we're going to discuss trends in global trade and whether China's reopening has seen the return of export activity for the rest of the region. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed overnight. So U.S. markets, they all ended in the red as 10-year Treasury yields briefly hit the highest level since November. The Dow was down 0.7%, S&P 500 down 0.3%, Nasdaq down 0.1%. Asian markets were a little bit more mixed. The Nikkei was up 0.1%, Hang Seng down 0.8%, the Shanghai Composite was up 0.7%, Straits Times Index down marginally by 0.02%, and the FBM KLCI, it was down by 0.1%. For some insights into what's moving international markets, specifically on the Asian side of the world, we speak to Carlos Casanova, Senior Economist at UBP. Carlos, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. I want to start off with what's going on in China. Uh, China's most important political gathering, the two sessions, is going to kick off this weekend. What kind of new economic policies can we expect and how will it align with the central themes set out in their 14th five-year plan? Good morning. That's a great question. So the um, largest political um, meeting of the year is kicking off this weekend. Um, A lot of investors are um, looking at this meeting for signs of where the market is going to go. Um, I think uh, after this very strong rally post reopening, the market is kind of waiting for some direction. And unfortunately, we think that the MPC uh, may or may not be the platform that delivers um, that direction for the market. Um, Typically, this is where the Chinese um, Communist Party announces the main uh, economic targets for the year. So things like GDP, inflation, um, but they will also highlight the key priorities, um, for example, um, you know, stabilizing employment or achieving a specific fiscal target for the year. So we are expecting to see a continuation of support measures, of course, and that should be beneficial for um, Chinese asset classes. However, it is also possible that they will set a slightly more conservative growth target um, of around 5%. Um, We currently expect China to exceed the target, so reach 6%, but they might not want to overshoot so early in the year. Um, And they'll also, um, it's also likely that they could set a a more conservative uh, budget deficit target of 2.8%, which should... um, sort of provide some support behind this hypothesis that um, perhaps um, they have less room to stimulate the economy than, than previously expected. So we do think that it might be a, a mixed picture coming out of the MPC this weekend. And Carlos, Beijing has recently expressed concern over excessive speculation demand in Chinese China's property sector. Is this a hint of greater regulatory oversight in this area? Um, I'm not sure. So I think what we are going to see this weekend at the MPC um, is, of course, uh, a commitment to continue to support employment and to continue to deliver stabilization in the housing market. The fact that they are choosing to continue using language like will strictly curb speculation in housing prices, etc., um, only gives you um, you know, a, a, an insight into this, the, the future of the housing market in China. So although they are going to continue to support the market, Although we are going to continue to see an inflection in um, uh, home prices and an improvement in real estate activity indicators over the coming months, very gradually, they are not looking to reflate the sector. 
Um, and even um, after we, we see a gradual improvement in the sector, I think they will continue to ensure that um, you know, houses are for living and not for speculation. So they are going to try to focus on delivering real demand, the houses that for, for real demand, um, and try to make it harder for people to own second or third uh, homes as, as investment. So I think that's where they're trying to go. Um, they are not trying to hint that in the middle of this recovery in the housing sector, they're going to launch a new, a new regulatory campaign. They're just saying that, that they want to promote real demand for housing. And Carlos, the Indian economy is expected to grow 6.9% this year, making it one of the few outperforming economies in a year that's seen as very bearish. Um, its current account deficit, however, is rising as well. How will India manage that, that as its economy continues to expand? Right. Well, I think the invisible hand is going to play its role. And we are seeing that happening already in Q4. Um, so the Q4 number was released um, overnight, and that was 4.4%, which was a little bit lower than what uh, most economists were surveying. Um, in fact, our number was was 5.0%, so it was significantly lower than our number, but consensus was 47 That means India is uh, still growing very rapidly at 7% um, for 2022 calendar year. Um, we had priced in 7.2, um, so a little disappointment. But overall, it's still a bright spot in in what was a very uh, you know volatile year last year. Um, most of that deceleration, however, can be traced uh, back to consumption. Of course, inflation was increasing and rates were also increasing in India, so we saw a declining consumption. So what might happen going forward is that India will remain um, you know a, a very rapidly expanding economy in Asia, but um, due to these forces, we will see a decline in consumption, and that should help to alleviate some of the pressures on the capital account front because they'll be importing less as a result of this declining consumption. So that's my take. Well, from India, let's cast our eyes to Japan, where Japan's industrial production fell 4.6% compared to a month ago in January. And that's the biggest decline the economy has seen in eight months. What's your outlook on how the Japanese economy could perform this quarter? Mm. We are going to see um, a bit of a divergence in Japan. So if you look at other indicators for manufacturing, the PMI has remained below 50 for three consecutive months. Um, but um, we are seeing an improvement, however, in the um, business sentiment as reflected by the Tankan survey. Um, so I, in my opinion, what is going to happen in the first quarter is that we are still going to have um, a very jittery manufacturing sector in Japan. Um, and it's possible that this might drag on Q1 performance. This uh, weakness in manufacturing is led to not, is linked not only to weak investment in Japan in the first quarter, but also this whole narrative with declining exports across Asia and Japan being an important exporting powerhouse as well. On the other hand, what's going to drive activity in Japan is going to be consumption. Um, although inflation is rising significantly, uh, we saw some upside uh, pressure on wages in December with uh, wages increasing by 5%, which is extremely high for Japan. Um, and so that's going to sustain um, economic performance in the first quarter. Going forwards, I think all eyes will be on Bank of Japan and what happens with monetary policies there. So I think it's going to be a very fascinating and, and dynamic year for Japan of all economies in the world. And Carlos, the Korean won has fallen nearly 7% against the US dollar over the previous month, making one of the worst performing currencies in Asia. Why has it weakened so much recently? Hmm. Well, actually, I, um, for a couple of reasons. First, of The first reason is that we are seeing uh, global repricing um, around the Fed. Um, earlier in the year, a lot of um, research houses and a lot of analysts were quite... Um, 
bearish US dollar. Um, I think the expectation was that the Fed would pause sooner than expected. Um, with inflation remaining so sticky in the US, and I remember a lot of that is linked um, to some uh, resilient strength in the labor market um, and still strong demand for services, although we are seeing downside pressure on things like used cars, um, you know, services and, and uh, rents are still um, extremely high. Um, and so as a result of those factors, um, there's been this repricing for rates to re go higher to around 5.5% and remain there for longer until the second half of 2024. So we are seeing some short-term um, appreciatory pressures on the US dollar, downside pressure on um, Asian asset, uh, risk classes like equities. So it's a bit of uh, 2022 conditions being priced into 2023. Um, but over the whole year, um, we should see uh, US dollar weakening. So this is just a broad-based depreciation against the US dollar. Um, and then, of course, uh, most Asian currencies are struggling. In the case of Korea, the, sec the reason why it's it, um, done even worse than its other peers in Asia is because it has significant exposure to uh, weakening demand for goods in the United States. Remember, South Korea is uh, one of the countries that has the most exposure to exports as a percentage of GDP in the world. Um, so most likely what you are seeing is uh, global investors pricing in a deterioration in, in, the, current account, in, the, capital, in the current account. Um, and overall weakness in the Korean economy as we enter this next phase in the global uh, recovery cycle. So that is why the Korean won is being hit even harder than other Asian currencies. And Carlos, just very quickly, you're in Hong Kong and uh, you guys don't have to start, don't have to wear your masks anymore starting today. What do you think that will do to um, the, the, the retail sector over there? Will people be coming out in droves today without their masks? You think? Damn right. So from today <laughs> on, we don't we don't have to wear masks. I think it's definitely going to help in terms of sentiment um, for the for the local uh, population at least. Um, I think um, it will take time. So it is still an East Asian economy. What we have seen in other parts of the region, like Taiwan or Japan, is that after they cancel the mask mandates, it's still a gradual process. So people sort of uh, decide to still wear it uh, for a while. Um, but what it is going to do, on the other hand, is enable this uh, PR campaign to be more successful. So as you know, Hong Kong has also launched a Hello Hong Kong campaign. They're welcoming international visitors. They're trying to attract um, global talent and talent from mainland China. And of course, if you're the last economy in the world to mandate the use of masks, even outdoors, it, it, it's not a good look. Um, so I think it's going to be beneficial in terms of that longer term strategy to attract capital into the and, and labor into the region. Carlos, thanks very much for speaking to us. That was Carlos Casanova, senior economist at UBP, giving us his take on some of the trends that uh, could be impacting markets in the days and weeks ahead, ending there with a comment on how um, Hong Kongers can breathe fresh air <laughs> beginning today. Let's uh, turn our attention very quickly to some earnings uh, that have come out in the international corporate sector. Uh, HP has reported its first quarter numbers and recorded the steepest fall in quarterly revenue since 2016 missing analyst expectations. So net earnings was $487 million or 49 cents a share and it's down from $1.1 billion or 99 cents a share. Net revenue was $13.8 billion, down 19%. Analysts expected adjusted earnings of $0.74 cents a share on revenue of about $14.1 billion. And HP attributes the poor numbers to being hit by delayed computer and printer upgrades by customers. Yeah, and uh, they're also forecasting second quarter adjustments 
adjusted per share earnings in the range of 73 to 83 cents, which is actually higher than analysts' average estimate of 76 cents. Uh, it also said that 900 employers in the US were, were, talk, were taking voluntary retirement as part of its previously announced plans to reduce its workforce. Um, if we take a look at how the street views this, I guess at least before market close, uh, pretty lukewarm actually in terms of analyst recommendations. There are 12 holds, only one buy, four sells. I think the consensus target price is $29.73. Last close was at $29.52. So it's pretty uh, tepid sentiment there on HP. Uh, it is coming up to 7.19 a.m. We're going to head into some messages, but we will come back with a look at what other headlines are making it in the front pages of the newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.